And what, what I think my mom gave for a lot of people for the very first time of their lives who maybe grew up in that same type of old-time religion, which, you, you know, like a lot of these rock stars and like Johnny Cash and L all grew up in that stuff. But now they're alone on their own. But at night, they're turning on the TV going, oh, I still belong. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's not ultimately the group that gets to make the final judgment. It's that it's God and God loves me. God really does love me. It is wonderful to have this really special guest today on our podcast, St. Tammy, Eric Weinberg. Thank you so much for coming and joining us and, and talking about you know your expertise and everything that you're going to unravel. And uh, yeah, it's just great to connect with everyone today. And, and I'm really excited about this special conversation. Yeah, so um, as some of you guys listening know that we've been working on a documentary that's coming out soon and um eric was a research consultant on this documentary and we um had some really interesting conversations about um putting you know the story of of tammy in a kind of more historical sociological like political context and some of the ideas that eric had i mean eric wrote a, a phd on ptl and, and jim and tammy and i thought it was really fascinating and it's something that's you know, maybe some of you guys will find, find interesting as well. I always like to um, hear about what wider sort of social historical moments, um, how they impact individuals and what sort of individuals say about as symptoms of like a wider culture. So really excited to have that conversation. Thank you. Appreciate it. No, I love that, you know, um, uh, this fascinating subject, obviously I've been involved in it and you know, some of my original interest in it was that um, as a historian, I felt nobody was looking at it. It seemed, you know, that it had been such a cultural phenomenon and um, nobody was sort of taking it seriously as a cultural moment, as a historical moment. And so um, my original, you know, as uh, interest was to sort of dive in and see what I could find out about this thing that nobody was looking at. And so that was my original, um, my, my original, you know, uh, origin story, I suppose, in in the topic, um, and I can try to st uh, start if, if if that's what we want to talk a sort of like uh, give the background with uh, don't go too far back on how I see um, uh, Jim and Tammy specifically Tammy kind of fitting into that moment of American history, um, and I think one way on. To do this, to talk about two two things and two people and two subjects that happened before them. One um, was Sister Amy, um, Amy Sample McPherson, um, and early, in the '30s she had this discussion, um, you know, and Tammy's her focus on the individual and self betterment, and um, you know, Jim's focus on prosperity. All of these discussions. Um, um, contrast with when Sister Amy had a, uh, a speech where she's, where she, I think it was called prosperity or something along those lines, and she continually talked about how to how could make how to make California better, how to make the United States better, how to make all these other things better to bring prosperity, however you define that term. Um, but American culture was lacking an understanding of the connection between that and the individual it just wasn't part of the cultural lexicon um it was and 
um, it certainly wasn't part of the religious or Pentecostal or evangelical lexicon at the time. It was a different time. Um, um, Another example of this sort of different way of thinking and understanding um, people's relationship with their culture um, was these uh, uh, dime stores books, these Horatio Alger stories about prosperity and coming up and becoming something different um, in there. Um, anybody that did anything for the betterment of their self um, was called what they the, the book would call a confidence man, um, a scoundrel. Um, and in religious terms, this person would have been seen sort of demonic. And so there just wasn't a cultural language at this time um, to talk the way in which Jim and Tammy talked about the individual. Um, and so um, no sense of individual, no language of this sort of um, religious cultural movement. Um, um, and so, right, in, in Oprah, a lot of these, there was a smaller movement which sort of had this sort of thing. It became when Oprah Winfrey made famous the book, The Gift. But mm. these were small cultural movements that sort of wrestled maybe in very problematic ways, uh, maybe in some extreme ways with newer understanding of people. Um, and what it means, you know, the idea of psychology itself had not been invented. So the idea that you saw betterment as the terms of psychology had not been there. So there's all this cultural language just missing um, from these earlier religious movements, from social movements, from cultural movements, um, whether extreme or not in these senses. Um, but after World War II, there's these there's a whole lot of transformations, um, American prosperity, uh, consumer culture. Um, people breaking away from their ethnic neighborhoods, their ethnic churches, brings forth a new language. Um, um, psychology becomes around and people start talking about themselves, bettering themselves, not as, and this being okay, right? This language of bettering the self, um, right? Um, or as we often hear, as I'm doing this for what's in the best interest of me, that kind of language wasn't around. Um, and so this begins to grow. Um, alongside new groups of religious people, um, originally starting, most historians would say, um, amongst um, people who are growing around these Sunbelt cities like North Carolina, these sort of prosperous new cities who are saying the religion of this current world doesn't fit me. Um, and they begin to search for a sort of new religiosity, a new form of uh, that could speak to Americans in the current context. Um, and so um, a lot of these people get involved um, with uh, um, Jim Baker, but they also are they're associated with Pat Robertson. And so they begin to meld. But in this melding, they begin to find this whole new group of people that are disconnected from their own ethnic neighborhoods. They're living in a new world where right, they're talk, they're working in jobs that demands personal transformation. Like be your best self. Go out and um, sell for us. Go go out and be your best person. And and they're experience a world that talks in this language. And um, in many ways, Jim and Tammy grab onto this new this new transformation and this new language that allows them um, to speak to these new groups of people. And they follow through to these cities where these people who are disconnected. It's no you know coincidence. Charlotte, North Carolina, this booming um, growth city of uh, people who had moved out of their ethnic neighborhoods were searching for a new for connection and were involved with places that demanded this new understanding of themselves were often isolated in their new neighborhoods 
away from their more traditional link family from their, you know, whether it is an Irish neighborhood, a Jew, even a Jewish neighborhood, a Catholic, you know, church and neighborhood. Um, they were, they were, they were in, interested in finding a new way to connect. Um, and so in my understanding, while I'm not by any means saying um, Jim and Tammy or Jim or Tammy um, thought these ideas explicitly or that they themselves or everyone who was involved in these movements thought about them in the same sense. Um, I think they had a particularly amazing way to speak to these cultural trends in American society after World War II. Um, and so in American society after World War II was surprising was fairly unified like the difference between republican and democrat at that time was fairly minor and and when people in in fact there was people had talked about the end of conflict in the world was going to happen there was these articles and essays that existed um and so this idea of the end of conflict and prosperity it was all throughout american and culture but in the 1970s with uh, economic stagflation globalization all these other things um, put this to a halt. Um, and in many ways, this there was a fight over what happened to this. What happened to this dream? How are we all of a sudden at the immediate day we're saying, no, this reality. And often I think when I think about the way to do this, uh, to ask people to give up on this, this, this vision was often asking them to give up in the, on themselves because so much of this culture had been not necessarily about individual prosperity, although that's part of it. It had about have been about accepting the individual um, and seeing things through the individual, um, um, whether it's psychology, individual betterment, uh, and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, to give that up for many people was to give up, and there became, I think, a cultural. Um, intersection or war or however we want to phrase it um, and people searching for a way to continue to find a way to support this this trend um, you know you could contrast it with you know Jimmy Carter's famous Malay's speech where he's talking about um, um, you know giving up on sacrifice a lot of people thought this was a form of giving up on America or giving up on a dream um, and so this was a, a, a contrast. Um, and I think um, we can, you know, for me, we can see Jim and Tammy um, within this. They were providing this this essence or this need or this place um, for this, the, the revival or the maintenance or the continued embrace of parts, if not all, or elements of people who had gone into this or had embraced this universal ideal that had come out of World War II that many ways had come out of the environment that America was in after the war and they were the you know the remaining Western super superpower in, um, in the world and I think um, they became um, uh, had a ability to speak to people who were um, oftentimes more secluded, oftentimes living in these suburbs were working in jobs that demanded personal transformation. Um, some some of these newer sale jobs, you'd have to go out and become someone else on one day and just do this and go back and transform yourself. It's a very, it's a very emotionally demanding kind of a thing to do that over and over again. And I think in many ways, this these sort of emotional um, backbone of a lot of the uh, what PTL do could speak to those tar- types of people who are involved in those types of 
uh, of, of emotionally demanding jobs um, and so forth. And um, I won't go on too much yeah. on forever and, uh, and, and about that, but I think those are kind of the, the outlines of some of the factors I think that went into that. And I think mm-hmm. what um, they did fit into this cultural environment um, that had also many sprockets that we could go off on as well. It's super interesting because I think that like wider cultural thing, because there's definitely this shift. I mean, America in the 20th century is so fascinating and going from that more unified um, post-war, which obviously saw the right, the like real rapid rise of Jim and Tammy. And then then this sudden division towards the 70s as things began to sort of unravel economically. But also, I mean, like how today it's just interesting that Tammy is having this sort of second coming, this kind of revival with this universalist message. And maybe it says something about today that there is this, like like you were saying, that even during this period where things were getting more divisive and also where people were getting more alienated with the transformation, transforming society that people found real solace in watching Jim and Tammy. But there's something about Tammy that like brings solace as well today to some people that they kind of are looking for that universalist message. But um yeah, and it's also interesting, I thought, what you were saying about, um, because obviously there was a, there's a big backlash against Jim and Tammy in the in the late 80s. And on the one hand, maybe you have, um, you have these, these different approaches maybe to deal with a more divisive time. You have, like, on the one hand, you know, the, the religious right and moral majority who are kind of looking to maybe return to some, you know, past that's not recoverable. And then you have also on the other side, people who are not religious at all and maybe who see religion as the problem. But Jim and Tammy were doing something quite different from, you know, it's often, I mean, especially from the outside of the States, there's always this idea of like uh, Christianity equals Republican right wing, blah, 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 blah. But Jim and Tammy weren't, you know, they well, Jim refused to participate in the moral majority at the end of the day. And I think they were representing something slightly different. So it's interesting how they kind of got caught up in one, you know, before the 70s, maybe in sort of this rise of universalism and um, rode that wave. And then obviously as things changed, then they sort of got the the backlash of that as people were sort of dealing with that. I don't, I don't know, because um, obviously, uh, Jay, you have a lot, lot of thoughts about this. Well, I mean, for me, it seems like I think what some people wanted to do with politics, and it's funny that Eric mentions this like individuality, because, you know, it's something that Right. Like now I see a lot of like progressive Christians be like, oh, no personal Jesus, blah, blah, you know, and we want community, but then they really don't want community. <laughs> they <laughs> pretend they do. <laughs> um, and and I think what 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 my folks saw with like politics and things like that was like, is that you did kind of lose the individual. And there was either like they wanted you, the whole group to be martyrs, the whole groups to be, you know, fall in line and i think both of my parents grew up like like early evangelicalism where people were able to kind of where it was always just the pastor talking to the group and the group being like bad you know if someone's you're bad you're sinners you're this you're that and i think my parents just thought this doesn't you know it seemed like they were like this doesn't seem like good news you know and i think what my dad saw with the with the, the the Christian right coming up, the the you know Jerry Falwell's group, the moral majority is that kind of same thing of like that group think of oh you know we're it's us against them, and I just feel like my parents, which is really ironic because my dad's changed so much now, but back then I just don't think they saw that there was a them, that there was an other, 
that we were all in this together, you know, and it wasn't about Republican or Democrat or even Christian or non-Christian. I mean, my mom's dad's message kind of boiled down to you're loved, you know, God loves you. And, you know, and he used to say, God loves you. He really does. But I feel like my dad was kind of saying, God loves you, you know, and it doesn't matter what you think. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was just like, you're loved and God loves you and God cares about you and we care about you. And, um, and I think they, they, they were, I think they both grew up with that division, especially my mother seeing her, 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 her mom go through the divorce and everything like that Mm -hmm. and how she was ostracized. And my, 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 my mom came from such a big family and I think my dad saw a lot of that too. Um, he was, you know, abused by a pastor and different things like that. And I think, I think they saw a lot of the legalism and judgmentalism and, and, and a lot of ways they were trying to rebel against that. And, uh, especially a, a blanket way, because it was just, you know, I don't think there was in an odd way it was like, there didn't seem to be anybody like individuals were all weren't really looked at you know so it was even like it wasn't like the end where there's one person who's the problem it's everybody's the problem and i think you lost yourself in that and i think my parents wanted to be like you don't have to lose yourself in that but we can also go through this together because there was also this kind of thing of like it's so funny that my dad was into prosperity but a lot of his prosperity was because he had to pay bills you know um because there was also a lot of you can make it so there was a lot of ideas of like times are tough, life is hard, but you can pull through life, you know. And the good news is is that God's not against you. I guess was kind of the thing. So I, I, it's really interesting to hear from from a different perspective of you know something you grew up in, and then you know hurt hurt. It, it is interesting as like well, that. like how because you know they're so one of the things I think is just so fascinating is just how, how representative they are of the epoch. So obviously we're talking about like the tension yeah. between the individual and sort of the universal. And on the one hand, you know, that there is this element of like PTL, for instance, like appealing to, to wide audiences and not being denominational with so that universal side. But then also there is this individual, you know, you could make it self-betterment. But then also the same, you know, on, on a more like structural level that Jim and Tammy obviously are like individual actors, but they represent so much. They really capture the 20th century and even like you mentioned uh jim and i'd be really fascinated to hear your thoughts on this eric about jim's transformation you know like as in what he was doing post-war and then his 45 year sentence and where he's gone today and like maybe where that fit do you have any thoughts about where that fits into yeah. sort of current historical yeah yeah i'm, I'm not sure i can br- i'm historians always avoid the president like a like a plague yeah <laughs> Yeah, we think, oh no, that's not our job. Um, so I'm not sure how well prepared I am for that. But I'll 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 speculate a little little bit for better or worse. Um, uh, and and so also you know sort of respond to what J- and I, I I can't imagine when you, if a historian jumped in and explained my life, I can't even imagine what that would do to me. So I I I, I, I can't. It's, it's like it's, it's, it's literally like opening up like a just a, like a different window. You know what I mean? Like you just a window you've not really looked. Go, oh, yeah. You know, it's a bit. It's 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 like radical theology where you take that step back and you kind of even look the bigger picture. So it's kind of great. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, and I I think what he said fit well with what I you know just to say what what I uh, you know some of the way in which they were able to open up a language that you know like with some people have criticized for some aspects, but other aspects are there and. 
but in many ways, um, the idea of self-fulfillment, individual betterment, um, even prosperity, like are not necessarily political or controversial on their, on, on their basic ends. They've kind of become the normal language of, of American society. And the so when we talk about revival and Tammy and this, and I think a lot of people um, were critical um during the time period and um, for various reasons. And I don't think I have to go down those uh, roads, but when we look back at a lot of their messaging, um, I think it was ahead of the time at meeting people where they were at um, and that transformations in world war two had happened to the point that individual lives, the old language of us, uh, you know, whether it's austerity or legalism, just didn't fit people's lives that, you know, they were in these sort of isolated suburbs living in nuclear family households, trying to navigate the world as individual uh, in in a sort of burgeoning uh, consumer culture where you're not necessarily part of uh, a Irish neighborhood or this sort of thing. And so I think they, they found us that language spoke to people um, in many ways. And so I think, that's part of why Tammy's revival is because people are realizing that, you know, when Oprah can go on and go with some would say the more extreme version of the gift and that can't, you know, you know, from a maybe left wing perspective at the same time, other people, you realize that some of these ideas are more universal, um, even though there are extremes to them, but thinking of people and self betterment and um, those sorts of things um, cross over a lot and have been in, in stabilized in American society in ways that we um, don't always realize or want to realize. And so I think people are realizing that they, they had a larger effect and more commonality with some of the messaging that came out than that they want to realize. And I think that's part of the revival is people reassessing um, both their influence and uh, some of the foundations of what they had said and their importance. And so um, as far as um, Tammy is concerned and sort of the revival is part of it, I think it's, you know, uh, you know, much like during the pandemic in America, everyone went back to the American version of the office and it just sort of made sense to them again. <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, Tammy, uh, people are going back to Tammy and saying, wait a minute, she still makes quite a bit of sense and maybe even more sense than um, um she may have in the past. And I think from a more uh, uh, less critical eye, people are, are realizing that um, mm-hmm. and then their importance. And I think even, you know, some of the critics might also um, realize that for better or worse, the, the they were transformative. I don't, um, you know, um, um, as influence that they were on, on most of the, um, the television ministries of the time is, is undeniable. And so, um, you know, and I, I think, you know, without, you know, attempt to sort of separate us, but I think uh, that that experience um, Jim and Tammy had growing up and, and Jake can probably speak to this better than I, I can, because um, I'm just speaking from their own um, writings. Um, they really showed that they were they were caught between two worlds, the old world and the new world, and they could see how it didn't fit with this new world. And they were trying to find a translation, a train to bring forth the, their more legalistic religion into the present context to meet the people that they knew in high school and their friends and so forth. And, 
Um, and I think this led them to, I mentioned that group of people who are already maybe from a more economic perspective, trying to transform religion um, in that ways. And um, they became spokespeople um, because they could speak to both maybe the economic side, maybe that was just to pay bills, but they could all speak to the uh to the other side of it, the sort of individualistic, transformative side that could speak to people on a one-to-one basis. Um, um, and so um, multiple groups were possibly, and I know from my research, um, not everyone went to PTL for the same reason, right? For one person who went there for prosperity and um, sort of that sort of economic reality, somebody else went there because they were struggling and they found the message um, transformative in that way. But they, they found a way to wrap uh, 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 their new vision uh, enough around the ability to um, meet people in this new this new wave. And so I think, um, you know, um, just like Pat Robertson and Jim Baker, they both were surrounded around people who were embracing that. And Jim in particular had the ability to bring this in front of the camera to the people. And I think everyone who saw him saw that ability to be in front of the camera and do that. And so um, while other groups had sort of seen the light in these new visions and new ideology, um, nobody was able to translate it the way he was. And so I think, um, um that came on and then i think tammy also um from those early days as soon as she was put in front of the camera she was it was quick to realize that there may there may be also something that even further was missing and i think that narrative of what goes on from there is a whole different narrative um that both fit that need but also brought in whole new audiences that I think starts at the same place, right? The same need to speak to people where they were and individuals and a more or less legalistic society. But I think she grew that same understanding to meet needs of new groups of people and um, branch out. And I think having that starting point allowed her to expand upon, well, if this is true, then why isn't this true? And I think um, for all the negative that can go along with the, with the, you know, with the idea of having a more individual focused religion, there's also um, opportunity. And I think Tammy found that opportunity um, and particularly well, um, you know, you could argue that, you know, why didn't she resist this or this or this, but I think Tammy was pretty uh, um, adept at playing almost a trickster, right? Going on, on a very conservative um, as as a you know woman who is not supposed to um, um, you know paint your face and this and and then doing it in in a way that let people know that you know what I'm not I'm not your uh, you're not going to control me I'm going to be myself I'm going to be who I want to be and I think she was you know some oftentimes described as some sort of puppet in that sense. And I think it was just the opposite. I think that in many ways um, she was by doing what she did, she was making a statement against um, the place that put her in front. She was a female televangelist in a world that had still not accepted um, women as having set a role. And so the idea that her going up there and and doing what she did, did was somehow uh, subservient or 
um, um, accepting of uh, um, male hierarchy in a more traditional way, I think, is misses a lot of the sort of playing she was doing with um, taking trends and maybe pushing them in ways that let herself be an image or a mirror into the sort of her understanding what it means to have a religion focus on people as individuals and how that could maybe evolve. Yeah, and it's interesting. I do feel like maybe in terms of the revival of Tammy and reassessing that, you know, obviously often there's like, I mean, you're the historian, so I could be wrong about this, but something sometimes you know, uh, historical moments or cultural moments happen in a very reactive way. So, you know, you have traditional marriage and then you have certain, say, feminist movements that maybe, you know, suggest like no marriage at all or don't be subservient to your husband or whatever. But, you know, that Tammy, just because she was married or in a traditional marriage, or whatever, didn't mean that she wasn't uh, doing things that were very radical for her context. And I think that maybe there's a sort of a reassessment of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the 80s were such, gosh, I mean, such a wild time. I mean, the 1980s were like everything was happening. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it was funny, like my parents were kind of punished for being individuals, even by like the SNL cast and, you know, late late night shows and things like that, which it was. Um, but it's almost like, you know, there was these episodes of Quincy where they had like punk rock guys, like these kids who were supposed to be punk rockers and they were throwing guitars and throwing people off roofs and stuff. It was like everything was kind of if it wasn't understood, it was kind of villainized, you know, mm. And so it was it, the 80s was such a strange time because everything could go, but then not everybody. So you kind of did have like the old, like, you know, the, the old 70s culture kind of like, oh, what is this? You know, and then you have my mom with the makeup and everything. And it was interesting that how people didn't unnecessarily understand who they were and really celebrated their fall in kind of a scapegoaty way. But, um, but, you know, at the same point, when I think about my mom, like she just really was someone and my dad, like they weren't your average married couple in a way that they, you know, they had marriage problems and they never, they dealt with them, not always in the most healthy ways, but they had, you know, they knew about each other's issues and went through that. But also like my dad wasn't like cooking meat on the grill on the weekends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my parents would decorate together. You know what I mean? Mm. Something that my people would probably seem more like, uh, remember it was like meta, meta, what was it, the metamel or whatever, you know, like kind of like, oh, is he, he kind of has a feminine side. And, and my dad had both those. So he was like, oh, I love to like decorate with my wife and we go antiquing together and we do stuff like that, you know? And um, so they were really an interesting, you know, couple. Like it was just, it wasn't your average, like, you know, Man, I mean, I never, I didn't know anything about sports growing up because my dad just wasn't into sports. He wasn't mm. into that. So there wasn't like, because I think people want to like, like, oh, Tammy was the first feminist. But for her and my dad, it was kind of like this role of like, oh, we're doing this thing together and we've got to have each other to continue to move this thing forward, you know? And what's interesting is to see how, how they, uh, how they navigated that time period that they were in because for me i'm seeing their personalities through this but when you hear a historian talk about it you go oh there's there's this bigger thing at play you know and it's just interesting how they kind of it was like and i guess this is anyway with anybody in who becomes famous and popular like this is it's like that perfect storm that they were kind of born into the right time for such a time as this you know what i mean 
And um, mm. so that, that's, that's so interesting to see um, how that happened and how they became so popular, but also like how they became, uh, you know, what I wonder what, you know, what in that time too caused them to become villains, you know, when they lost everything, like why they were scapegoated so badly for more of, I think, the sins of people like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and, 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 and you know, uh, Oral Roberts and people like that who are doing the more like fighting the sin of everybody. Like my parents didn't seem like they were fighting this people, telling people to fight their sin. They were trying to get people to accept themselves mm. and survive. Mm. And it felt like a lot of these other evangelists were very much like, oh no, the gays and the abortion. And, the, and you know, cause all that kind of stuff was just coming up. And my parents were kind of like, well, those are just human issues, you know? And I felt like the other people saw it as sin, you know? It's interesting because I feel like as well, you're saying, you know, people becoming famous in a perfect storm because it feels as well that with the fall, it was sort of a perfect storm. And obviously, I think Eric speaks this a lot. But um, one of the issues, and I think we've talked about it before, Eric, is is maybe the sort of classism, you know, that this was this period leading up to the the fall was, you know, um, there was a sort of a rise in prosperity for different sections of of America. And, you know, for instance, you talked about how, um, lots of people watched Jim to sort of pump themselves up as salesmen. And, you know, today we have sort of service industry jobs. And back then there was a big rise in sales industry jobs so that people were sort of identifying with Jim and using him as a sort of like, you know, a pep kind of person. But that this was this was like a new type of job. It wasn't like a legacy job. And there's um, we actually in the documentary have a, a, a passage where Pat Robertson really sort of goes at Jim and Tammy for being sort of, you know, working class and not having the right, you know, values and and all this kind of stuff. So I, I wonder if there's an element of that. Um, but also, I it's interesting in terms of, I've always been interested in the sort of bizarre um, election sequence, or maybe not bizarre, but just interesting election sequence from um, Jimmy Carter to Reagan and how Jimmy Carter, who's quite a left-wing guy, was an evangelical, but then he didn't represent, you know, a lot of the issues that some of the more right wing, obviously, like a large part of evangelicalism in America, maybe identifies more with, you know, right wing values. And so then there was the rise of moral majority and they got Reagan elected. And then maybe there was this sort of therefore from a more media perspective, more media class perspective, a universal kind of suspicion of religious people, even though, as we've said already, Jim and Tammy weren't really part of that traditional evangelicalism from that more sort of Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell perspective. Yeah, I mean, it it is a fascinating and in many ways that time period of, you know, well, at least up until recently has defined the sort of political divisions in American society. um, Right. And, you know, where I started talking about, you know, Jimmy Carter and his his focus on limits and limit based liberalism is often what people talk about is as the idea in the 1970s liberalism or the left or however we define it was all about how can we limit things we limit gas we limit our spending we limit our, our global reach that discussions globally about population destruction of the world i mean a lot of um, um this uh, environmental catastrophe and all these all these were on the this sort of zeitgeist of, of, of American society and the left. And, and, and despite the fact that Carter was an evangelical and, um, you know, born and bred and spoke the language, um, um, 
Um, I think in many ways he had missed the time on that way in which that language could translate. Um, I don't think, um, you know, I mean, he was reading a lot of times he had consultants with people like um, historian and cultural critic uh, Christopher Lash and many people who are bringing up these ideas um, within there. Um, and they didn't translate, not to a culture that had so transformed since the 1950s. And I think, um, you know, Reagan came, came in and brought back in many ways a vision that more fit um, what Jim and Tammy had talked about. Um, but all this is, is you know, we're, I'm not talking wrapped in a new understanding of the family um, that had that had become in, enveloped in surrounding um, a lot of this stuff at the time. But I think if we look at this solely as a sort of that doesn't make sense. But I think if you think about their worldview and how in which they they intersect with these this transformations after World War II when these ideas were solidified. Reagan spoke to that old time. He spoke to that old vision. Um, and Jim and Tammy, in many ways, their new vision of of helping the individual, of giving the individual prosperity, and all these sorts of things, they were more in line with um, 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 with Reagan than they were with Carter. And so, um, Carter's hope to sort of bring America back to this new limits, um, limit-based liberalism or this idea of how do we contract and how do we do less. Um, for the first part, it, it, it's America. We are not good at doing less. Um, right. <laughs> we always want to find more. Um, uh, but um, um, kind of, it also telling people who are uh, struggling to pay their heating bills to put on a sweater um, mm-hmm. seems somewhat toned up as well. But, um, you know, um, it, the combination of the ideology, the time and the ask and the what had gone before didn't fit. So I think the intersection of Reagan and his growing understanding of the evangelical movement created a new intersection and a new sort of political force that would align itself and allow itself to exist um, because Carter was, I think, towing a, uh, uh, a sled that was a li- was possibly going a bit uphill, even if at the time they, he probably heard um, a lot of convincing arguments um, and maybe correct arguments. I'm not going to make the argument whether one was right or wrong. Um, nonetheless, it would, it, it took, it would have taken more than a speech to get people who had uh um, since the 1950s, um, been told a story to get off that uh, cart right now, um, um, and and think about a community, uh, the the world as a sort of community or or local world as a community, rather than themselves as individuals, when their jobs, lives, family, mm-hmm. all of that was focused on them and their betterment and how they can make their family succeed rather than, you know, the neighbor who I haven't met in, you know, 10 years somehow is part of my community. Our communities are much more complex. And I think uh, Jim and Tammy's uh, uh, could speak better to that. And I think, uh, um, I think, uh, you know, Reagan could as well. Um, and so I think in many ways, um, that was a naturally more natural of an intersection than some people have suggested. Yeah. And I think it goes beyond the sort of traditional, um, this, uh, group was about, um, moral values and this group was not about moral values. I think, uh, um, Carter, um, had strong moral values too. I just think he, it was couched in a vision that didn't fit, um, um, America at the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, his moral values seem to be more for the the people rather than individual. 
individuals if I would, you know, kind of go with what I think was happening there. And also just to like, I don't know what you think about this, Eric, as a kind of a hypothesis, but for that fall, for the fall when my parents fell, I feel like what we had was you still kind of had the the the, the liberal, the, the, the Carter left a bit, who kind of resented feeling that my parents represented kind of a Reagan heir, you know, anything goes, it's the 80s, you know, that kind of were like, oh, we knew Jim and Tammy were going to fall and do this and blah, blah, blah. And then you really had a lack of depth and a lot of the more Reagan air thinking. And so it was very easy for those, for the Reagan folks, the, the new conservatives to kind of go like, oh, well, failure is not part of our vision. So they failed. And you kind of have both groups just completely turn, you know, and which is interesting because Christianity, um, well, I've spent 30 years of my life studying is is kind of a faith that's based on you know i mean the, the first earliest new testament writing in galatians paul talks about you know when someone falls you should gently and humbly you know help them back up and you should restore them and do these type of things but what you have is you have the left and the right both just kind of go like it's like like one of those funny movies where like somebody goes into stage dive and then everybody splits and the person just hits the ground. You know what I mean? It was like my parents fell and everybody just kind of was like, not our problem, not our problem. And and my parents just kind of hit the ground, you know, um, my family really. And so it's, I think that can also be seen as kind of the perfect storm is that the, oh, you know, neither, neither, they're just, I guess it was the lack of, of uh, success on one side was the failure for the, the more Reaganomics type of thing. And then the left was just kind of like, well, we were always kind of suspicious. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, and it feels like that's what happened. I, I think it does, you know, and I think in some ways the critique of, uh, of them was really a critique of the 1980s and they became yeah. what of a scapegoat for the excesses of the country. And, um, and, you know, people were, you know, probably, you know, traveling on yachts and saying, "Oh, look at these excessive people," right? <laughs> you know, like, right? And and you know, and and you know, maybe maybe some of their critique was justified, but maybe maybe look in the mirror a little bit too, right? And I yeah. think I think in some ways um, the, the the picture was painted um, um, of them, but the but the lack of a picture was painted of America, right? And exactly. so, and I think America didn't realize that they, in many ways, were on the same ship and um, and may have been a part of the same group and may have been part of the same era, and uh, and so I think in many ways, you know, the critique was maybe a, a, a self critique. Um, uh, that uh, when the 1980s didn't end well, when the uh, uh, Reaganomics um, um, left a lot of problems and um, yeah. and subgroups um, without a lot um, and failed um, to maybe help a broad spectrum of society. Um, um, people were critiquing that, and I think they um, found um, a way to make it not about them or the uh, America, but about two individuals and a religious movement. And I think, um, you know, some of that I think was going on. And I think, I think um, the 1980s were an interesting time, but I think uh, um, Jim and Tammy weren't the only people who were 
celebrating a vision of prosperity and success that may have been what drove reagan to the to the presidency as well um and so um jim and tammy just were willing to say it a little louder i think sometimes and that's what was often used as as a way to uh use that as a uh to use them as a sort of pin cushion or however we want yeah because there was this you know element of uh, authenticity and openness and people they've been called sort of the first well your family just been called the first family of reality television and this is obviously part of their appeal in terms of you know you were talking about the rising loneliness and the sort of this era and people feeling alienated and connecting to ptl as some sort of like surrogate family through the through the medium of television but they they were very honest but that honesty you know as and i think one of there's an interview that we have of tammy sort of in despair because she's saying well what we've done is no worse than anybody else you know you should see what these guys do you know obviously there are different maybe different values and different ways of sort of communicating it and um and you know there's statistics about how jim and tammy made eight million in uh record royalties and book sales over the course that they took four million in, sa- in salary but they pay gave the ministry eight million of their income that they could have taken so if they had just taken the royalties and not a salary, there wouldn't have been this sort of big scandal. And it's, I always think it's really funny when you hear about the things that really captured the imagination. So the air-conditioned doghouse, uh, one time they're in a hotel room and Don, who was a security guard, uh, bought $100 worth of cinnamon rolls to put in the oven to warm them up to to create a scent of cinnamon rolls <laughs> in the hotel room. And then the gold-plated faucets and things like this. When you compare them to... Um, the excesses of today. This is the thing that's really scary because we always have this repeat of, you know, the, I don't know, some some aspects of the Reagan period because when you think about like, you know, Elon Musk's uh, wealth increasing by 100 billion in one year or, you know, you see that what, what what sort of the billionaire class on their yachts do these days, it's it's nothing, you know, $100 of cinnamon rolls, really not very <laughs> much or like a, a doghouse with a heater in, but it's, it's interesting that I guess what I was getting at is just that their openness that was so key to their um, success in this period also opened them up to this sort of being the useful kind of stooge when it came to like absolving the community, the wider American society of, you know, the guilt of having engaged in the the, the ethics of the 80s, that they were sort of like, haha, well, look, they've honestly... He said things, but the honesty was what really made them famous in the first place. Mm. And I think too, you know, there's also that 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 growing up, and I think what my, my parents were rebelling against too is that like, oh, you should be the poor pauper mm-hmm. if you're going to be the preacher. You know, you need to be the you know be poor and not have money and blah blah blah. And so, and what's funny is that think about my family like it's like oh well you know. We had a pool, so that was nice, you know, And but we also were eating Kentucky Fried Chicken next to the pool. Like, I don't, rem- like, we didn't do a lot of fancy <laughs> things. Like, when, I remember, like, after we lost everything and I started seeing what wealthy people actually do, I was like, you know, we never went to the Grand Cayman Islands or we never went, you know, we never went to what all these great places that I hear all these rich people do, you know? <laughs> um, you know, we, we, you know. You know, it, it's just weird because it was like, you know, they did have a house in Palm Springs, which was was nice. But Palm Springs was also at the end of its glory day and it was falling apart. And then the other one was like near Dollywood in Tennessee. You know what I mean? They're like one of the most redneck areas, you know, visiting the Redneck Riviera, basically. Yeah. And so it was like, 
it, it was funny to see like what how people created like gold faucets. Well, no, no, they're brass faucets. Nobody has gold faucets. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like a hundred dollars worth of uh, cinnamon rolls, which I'm sure my parents weren't like, go out and buy a hundred dollars cinnamon roll. Don probably thought, oh, this will be hilarious and great. You know, so it's just it's weird to see that. Not that I'm saying they were completely innocent of of not having lifestyle that was too big or too that but it's just it's 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 so strange to see how people remember it you know and and think about it and celebrate that and 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 the other side is is here we are in the you know 2023 and a few months ago you know i was talking online about how i live in uh in 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 federal housing you know what i mean like low-income housing and someone like this other progressive liberal person attacks me and goes, well, you're just doing that to show off. Like you could probably live anywhere you want. And I'm like, no, no, I can't. I have two kids I'm trying to raise, you know, I don't have a big ministry. I'm not, you know, I might, people might know who I am. I might have a blue check on (laughs) Twitter, but that's about it. You know, it's like, I'm struggling, but how it was still turned into this kind of vilifying way from a progressive person saying, and I'm a, you know, a, a lefty myself, but still saying like, oh, you're just, you know, trying to show off. You're just, you're trying to, to say, oh, look, poor, humble me. So it's kind of like what I found in this world. And probably one of the things that's probably the worst thing about religion and is that both sides just want to scapegoat you constantly. Mm. Just, you know, like, con- mm. like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And I guess that's one of the things I've learned about the American culture, at least, is that just there's always a judgment for you. You know, nothing's ever quite good enough. And there's someone who's always trying to look at what separates us. I mean, individualism has become so strange that it's become only, it's become about the I, you know, and how I've got my, and I'm the right person. And you're, you know, you're not as right on as I am. You're not as either conservative as I am, or you're not as liberal as I am. And it's kind of really gotten out of hand, in my opinion. But it's interesting because I wonder, Eric, if you think that part of the reason why they were so vilified was was the religious element, that this was to do with, because I see, as, as Jay said, like America is a very religious country, not only confessionally, but also just in terms of those dynamics that seem to exist from the outside, you know, this quite legalistic and and oppositional sometimes. But um, the um, but in the this period in the late 80s, presumably from a historical perspective, there was this idea of, you know, is is religion really the right thing for us? Should it have such a strong influence on on the culture? And you had, you know, the likes of Jim Jones happening um, around the, you know, the similar time. And maybe they, it was partly the issue was they represented religion and that religion was maybe something that was being questioned at the time. Right. There was there was definitely um which is a bit ironic, a stereotype of Jim and Tammy and I think of people who went to PTL as being Southern uh, bumpkins, you know, sort of the maybe a traditional stereotype of a sort of Pentecostal from the mountains who you know, doesn't have their teeth and is too ignorant to understand what Jim and Tammy were saying. Um while coexisting around a, another stereotype of Jim and Tammy of they were too prosperous and religion shouldn't be doing all this fancy stuff. Um, and so it's like, well, wait, which what? <laughs> you can't have both. And so which is a fascinating coexistence of, of these two ideas. Um, 
but I think, um, you know, they were, I think America was struggling to understand the role of religion in society at the time. Um, and so, right. The more traditional vision of a preacher being, having to live in poverty, um, these sorts of uh, visions, um, um, could coexist, um, you know, with the, the uh, vision of a sort of more modern or prosperous or over the top, however you want to put it. And so I think it was America grasping with itself at that time. And so they, people could see Jim and Tammy the way they saw, the way they questioned these things. They were wrestling with them and Jim and Tammy sat up on a pedestal and they became a symbol of one thing or a symbol of another thing, depending on their perspective of the world. Um, and so it, they became symbolic more than real in that sense. I mean, they were real, obviously, but the critique of them could be re- related to what somebody um, was thinking about of religion at the time. And so, you know, I think in some ways, I, I think I'm curious on what Jim had, uh, our, um, you know, his vision of how this would have happened. Um, but you know, in, in some ways, the idea of the gold-plated um, um, faucets and so forth, and a lot of the the, the doghouse and so forth. Uh, in many ways, the ideas behind prosperity and prosperity theology is that you have to you have to demonstrate um, you have to demonstrate prosperity in order to make people believe in prosperity. And so much it's it's even it's more than just a personal belief. It's a, it has to it's related to an NJ. You may have a thought on this too. It's also a need to pay the bills, right? If you start showing, you know, broken down houses, less than plush um, um, accommodations, it doesn't speak to the your vision of the future. And so um, it was as much about economic need as it was because those people who were coming to PTL because it embraced, because they embraced that um, vision had to bring in money in order to bring to make it survive for people who maybe were not. And so I think in many ways, it was also a reality of the movement they were in as much as it was a personal belief. And maybe Jim's later transformations um, could be suggestive of the way in which he was tied into this economic need and pipeline of people who had led to the early growth of the movement um, through their involvement, uh, the full gospel men, businessmen's fellowship international who underwrote uh, TBN and uh, were involved in PTL, but were also involved in CBN in those early days. Um, but I think it becomes more than just about personal belief. It becomes about economic necessity. And uh, there's a complexity there that I don't think has ever been acknowledged enough to the way in which um, success was uh, dependent on this sort of those sort of interactions. There's an interesting um, fact. I don't know if this is true, but something that I, I've always sort of thought is quite interesting in terms of the phenomenon of religious broadcasting at the time. So apparently I heard somebody, um, another uh, a, a lady who's an expert in American religion said that um, the FCC didn't allow um, this kind of Pentecostal religious broadcasting on mainstream television. So they couldn't advertise in the usual way, which meant they had to go independent. And it's interesting um, seeing often the religious world is a place because it's it's outside the sort of mainstream where weird innovations can happen more readily in a way because it's sort of, you know, a bit more um, liberalised because it's not so controlled. But the FCC yeah, wouldn't allow Pentecostals to, to broadcast. 
So they had to raise money through this form of um, fundraising, which obviously, in a way, like all businesses have to make money somehow. But again, to go back to the honesty thing, you know, it's a little bit sort of, you know, his cap in hand versus the more sort of like acceptable advertising where you sort of get to take your hand off and be like, oh, no, I'm not involved in this. This is your decision to pay. Do you see what I mean? So so that kind of maybe um, they're kind of bet- between a rock and a hard place in a way because they're forced into this position. But this allows them to be sort of innovative and to grow. But also, um, yeah, they, they have to raise money somehow. And this is the way that they're sort of forced to raise money. Right. And I, I think the, the fact that they were innovative, were able to build off these cultural movements were exactly that reason is they couldn't just sit on a public access channel and um, and do the more traditional um, um, broadcast that you would see um, because they had to find their niche. They had to find their audience. And there was a group of people um, who had become disconnected as a, you know, I don't have to go through that. And I think they found that group and that group became the economic undergirth of their movement. Um, some of them were the, the wealthy businessmen who were funding it, but other people were searching for a new emotional understanding of religion. Some people were searching for a pe- way to understand their new lives and those sorts of things. But you're exactly right that the, you know, with the understanding of FCC and how they uh, defined what was acceptable as far as um, religious broadcasting, um, you know, made them, um, particularly needy of finding a way to meet the needs of American culture. And it's no coincidence that the more traditional denominations um, did not go down that path because they were not motivated enough to need to. Um, Jim and Tammy could read the tea leaves and they needed to read the tea leaves. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, but it is interesting how, yeah, there's the upshot and the, and the downside. You know, the upshot is this innovation. But the downside is that, but it, yeah, and it is interesting that I think that um, America is a very, you know, obviously market orientated and capitalistic country, but um, sort of also works on repressing that and and mm. there being acceptable ways of being a capitalist, you know, or because um, in a way, yeah, no, it's 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 uh, it's just a different form of um, of money raising and and and. Uh, convincing people to part with their money but you know this happens in all kinds of different ways in american culture do you have any um sort of final thoughts maybe i was thinking about uh what you think about tammy's legacy today um if you had any thoughts on that well yeah i mean i think one of the things we haven't talked about which i'm sure you can talk about is the way in which uh, um you know this you know there can be, you know, we can talk about the role of the community and ind- individual and all get complex and, you know, religious critiques on both sides. And um, many people would um, can talk about Tammy and Jim's role in one side or the other. But I think, uh, um, you know, one thing I think it did allow Tammy to do is accept all individuals where they are and for who they are. And I think um, while some people could be critical of other aspects, prosperity theology, those aspects, um, it did allow, I think, Tammy, the space for her to accept people into her faith that would not have ever found a home mm. um, in this in this environment. And I think that is one legacy that should never be forgotten about Tammy. Um, so while even those who are critical of, you know, there's plenty of Christian groups that are critical of the um, of the more individualistic nature of 
American society and then and and in proxy uh, religious society. Um, um, it did open some doors in that aspect and brought new people in that um, that would not have been I don't think would have been possible if if they both didn't start looking at um, faith as an individual process. Um, and so I think that is um, one imp- important aspect is as complex as these social and cultural trends are, they often have shoots that you can be critical of and embrace at one time. But I think um, um, Tammy was willing to accept, um, the, even though she was on this particular path, she could drive it in a way that brought in um, more people into the movement that uh, would not have been possible and without. So sometimes it's about the what you do with what you're given as much as it is, is what you what you're given. So I think that's a an important aspect of it. Yeah. Well, that's well said. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Jay. I know we're wrapping up, but I just wanted to say, like, I know like for a lot of people, the individual uh, personal Jesus, if you will, <laughs> kind of thing is, is, is frightening. Um, but in some ways that's like for people like myself, we're very introverted and I think it allows you to have this relationship without this, you know, constant uh, judgment. And I think that's what a lot of people were looking for. And I think they found with people like my mom, especially the television is that, you know, they didn't have to go into a community where they felt judged for who they were or maybe hated or felt bad. But with my mom, they're able to feel accepted and loved and feel like, uh, well, you know, maybe there is a place for me here. It's just not in that building, you know, you know, I can listen at home at night and, and Tammy's going to let me know that I am loved and I am cared for and I can grow through that. And it doesn't have because a lot of times these bigger communities, unfortunately, you know, everybody likes to romance the community. But a lot of times these communities become a thing of control and manipulation through religion and legalism and and, and group think and things like that. And uh, and what what I think my mom gave for a lot of people for the very first time of their lives who maybe grew up in that same type of old time religion, which, you you know, like a lot of these rock stars and like Johnny Cash and all, all grew up in that stuff. But now they're alone on their own. But at night they're turning on the TV going, oh, I still belong. Mm. You know, it, it's it's not ultimately the group that gets to make the final judgment. It's that it's God and God loves me. God really does love me. And I think there was something freeing to that. And I think there was something freeing for the, the you know, the LGBTQ people who grew up that way and were ostracized. And then all of a sudden going like, oh, it's not the group. Think, you know, there's something greater than that, you know. And 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 I don't know if, you know, Paul Tillich, who's a great, you know, theologian philosopher, talks about grace as as reconnection and sin is separation. And I think what they got to experience in that Tillichian way was that reconnection to something greater than themselves. That's that thing that says you are accepted. And that the, the group, the, the church, the majority said, you, you aren't, you're sin, you're separated from that. And my parents were allowed to say, no, you're not, you're, you're reconnected to that. It's not based on these other things. And I think that's what allowed a lot of those folks to kind of feel that way. And why you have Elton John making a musical and doing a musical about my, my mother is because he would watch that show late at night and feel that you are accepted that that reconnection mm. you know or why jessica chastain found that beautiful is because people in the lgbt community felt like they didn't have a place 
and they might have not had a physical place to go to, but they had a spiritual place that's like, you are accepted. And I think that's kind of really cool how that played out, especially coming from two people who weren't philosophers or theologians were allowed to provide that kind of uh, work. Anyhow, sure. that's my, my two cents. That's amazing, Jay. Man, and Eric, thank you so much for being a guest and, and shedding your wisdom yeah, and Eric, setting the context. And Helen, that, that was great. All the, all the questions you asked and yeah, no. Um, yeah. So, so thanks guys. This was awesome. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch and hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll do another episode in a couple of weeks. So thank you. Yeah, thanks everyone. Okay. Enjoyed it. Bye. Bye.